You are listening to College Success Habits with Jesse Bogle, episode 166. Let's get to the show. Oh, this show's the best. The best show. Best show. Best show ever. Welcome to the College Success Habits Podcast. Do you want to triumph through school and have a little fun along the way? Learn habits to help you attain better productivity and hacks to help you slide through classes at any age. Here's your host, college circuit speaker, Jesse Mogul. Welcome back to College Success Habits. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and as always, honor and a privilege to have your ears for this amount of time. If you're listening to this show linearly, then Happy New Year. I hope that you have had a fantastic holiday season and that you wrapped up your 2022 as well as can be as you're moving into 2023. As you know, in the past, I've talked about handing the baton off from one year to the next. Um, It's very much like picturing a track, if you have ever seen the Olympics, where they have the baton passing, and you've got 2022 ending, as it hands the baton off to 2023. This is why I talk about the starting 2023 in the 2022 year, where December 1st is actually the beginning of the new year for you. So you start to ramp up what it is you want to focus on moving into 2023, and then you finish 2022 on February 1st. So you give yourself like this 60-day window in order to wrap up. And this is something I coach on a lot. I think it's extremely important that we harness that internal energy to realize that it's not this hard cutoff. It's really just a day that has changed. It's not, (laughs) we make it out like it's this grandiose thing. And all of a sudden, you know, we're going to wake up and we're going to feel completely different when that's not the way that it actually works, is that your mind is still very much working on things from 2022 as it moves into 2023. And a lot of the things you're doing are going to connect. And so if you can picture your year beginning on December 1st and the old year ending on February 1st, now you've got this 60-day window. And in the track and field, that's where they're passing the baton. That's where one per, that's where one runner starts to get up to speed while the other one begins to slow down. And that's that window that you have in order to make sure everything is, you know, as wrapped up as can be. And this actually, funny thing is, came about because of the way calendars, like day planners are created. Um, I noticed that my old ones would stop on December 31st. So you need to go buy a whole brand new one. But the way I was planning my year, I was actually already putting things into January, February, and March. And so I was having to buy two different planners and like keep them side by side. I ultimately found one that was 15 month and would wrap all the way into the end of March. And I thought, well, that's really how it works, right? Like the fourth quarter bleeds into the first quarter. Like the planet doesn't know that that particular minute from 11.59 p.m. to 12 midnight 12 a.m. was when the year switched. It's just doing its thing. And it's the same way with your body and same thing with your mind and it's your schedule, everything. It's just another day. So it's really this continuation. So I thought, well, okay, well, let's let's plan accordingly with that. And let's give ourselves a time so that we don't feel like, oh, got to have everything done from 2022 on January 1st, because this is why New Year's resolutions don't work for most people, is they put a tremendous amount of weight on the very first of the year 
as being when they're going to make all of these amazing changes. What it's really doing is it's postponing the inevitable, the inevitable changes that can be made in November and December so that you have momentum going into January and February for these radical changes you want to make in your life. And a lot of people pick some really cool stuff to make a New Year's resolution, cut back on drinking, eat healthier, go work out, exercise. And as a former personal trainer, I would watch the gym get full of people for that first month, six weeks, maybe even eight, but generally by Valentine's Day, at least here in the Western world, most of those people who weren't all that into working out to begin with would shift. And it was like, okay, not seeing the results I want, doesn't feel habituated, not getting the energy out of this, my schedule is getting busier, yada, 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 whatever um, excuses they could come up with. And then before you know it, by the time end of February, March roll around, the gym's pretty much back to the same people that it had back in October and November. And it was a cycle, I noticed, even when I wasn't a trainer, just being someone who goes to the gym for the last 16, 20 years, I would notice this. And I'm like, more than likely, it's too much weight being put upon January 1st. When, you know, a little bit of here and there in October, November, December could have created a much stronger momentum base. So that's what we're going to talk about today is how you're going to create a habit. Because I'm not a huge fan of New Year's resolutions for the exact thing I just talked about. Too much weight put on one day when it's just another day. And I partied pretty hard in my college days, and New Year's Eve and New Year's Day were hardcore party days for me. So I would have these grandiose plans of a new year, new me kind of situation, but I would wake up extremely hungover. And by the time I cleared out of that, it was January 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, school was getting ready to start right back up, you know, and it was almost like, eh, you know what, I'll, I'll figure that out later. And it never did figure it out later. There were so many changes I wanted to make that I didn't utilize any level of momentum when it came to making those changes. And a lot of the times, you know, I can look back now and notice that I wasn't really quite sure about how to make new habits. And it was just called the College Success Habits Show for a reason. Your entire life will come down to the habits that you create. Right? Was it Aristotle or somebody says that you know excellence isn't an act, but it's a it's a habit. It's you know what you repeatedly do. I'm totally butchering that quote, but it wasn't planned to be spoken about. So there it is. But basically, it's that this excellence isn't a one time thing. It's what you repeatedly do. Look at an athlete like Tom Brady or Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Tiger Woods, some of these amazing athletes, you know, the Michael Phelps of the world, you know, who go off and they do amazing things under the bright lights of competition in an arena full of people screaming their name. And it's what they were doing in the shadows and in the, in the darkness when the lights weren't on them. That was the consistency. That was the muscle memory they were building. So when everything was on the line and they had to do something amazing in order to compete and win, they were able to do it. And this is what we're talking about with habits, because your mind wants to be in a state of flow. It is looking for that at every single turn. When it's in flow, it's operating on trance-like mode. It's just going off of um, emotional, mental, or physical motor habits. These are just the way that things go. 
This is like tying a shoe or opening a door. If you had to think about how to do that every single time you went to do it, you'd be spending an inordinate amount of time standing at a door trying to figure out a doorknob. The mind knows how to generalize behaviors so that it can habituate them knowing, hey, if I walk up to a door, there's only so many options here. In, out, left, right, up, down. That's it. There's, there's not a whole lot of options. Sometimes it will slide for me, and I won't even have to worry about what to do. Um, if there's not a handle and it doesn't want to slide, then I will sp- stand there in front of the grocery store, waving my hand in front of the sensor, hoping that's the way that it'll open. But either way, the brain knows what a door is going to do. It generalizes that. It's a muscle memory. So back in the day when I was wanting to start going to the gym or drink less or communicate more effectively with my friends and my girlfriend, right, there were certain behaviors that I had ingrained into my brain, ingrained in the membrane. It's what my brain had turned into a habit, right, from how I load the dishwasher, how I take out the garbage, every, your brain has habituated tens of thousands of behaviors, even as I stand in my office right now shooting this podcast, the way that I am pacing back and forth in the office in front of my show notes is very habituated. I usually do it at an angle. So I'm either going, you know, from south to east or I'm not going to try to sit here and break out cardinal ordinance on you. But basically, I'm walking the exact same pattern. It's like this nine foot stretch. And it's what I do. And it's because it might, because part of it leads me right back to the computer so I can move the show notes and I got my water right here. So I want to be able to have one of the endpoints be near the desk. That's how this turned into a habit. So the fact that I know that one of the endpoints wants to be near the desk makes, allows me the understanding of why I turned this into a habit. And when you can understand why you're turning things into a habit, then you have the ability to break them down into pieces and figure out, is this habit actually working for you or not? Because part of your resolution shifts to make these things stick is going to be changing not just the primary habit. Let's say uh, you want to lose weight. A lot of people want to lose weight for the new year, right? So let's just go with the number 10, make this super simple. You want to lose 10 pounds, right? So we think, okay, well, I'll go to the gym and I'll start doing some cardio and maybe I'll lift a little weights and I'll try to eat a little healthier. But that's a lot of vagueness, right? Well, what weights are you going to lift? Are you going to do a program? What, how much time are you going to be on the cardio machine? Do you understand what that's going to do to your knees or how that's going to affect your glucose levels? And you might end up craving carbs even more if you are out there doing a ton of cardio. And then are you even paying attention to the kitchen? Because 80% of what your belly looks like absolutely comes from the kitchen. So where are you going to start to manipulate your calories? And so there becomes all of these little tiny things that actually have habits built around them. So you're like, I'm just going to lose 10 pounds. I'll go to the gym and I'll eat more broccoli. But it's not that simple because of the thousands of habits you have built up around the way you maintain your physical activity and the way that you eat and the way you put nutrients into your body, right? You find yourself hungry at the, you know, student center in the middle of the day and all there is is Taco Bell and McDonald's and it's it's absolutely not going to help your goal of losing these 10 pounds, especially if you haven't figured out how many calories you need per day because that 2,000 calorie thing was made up by some nutritionist based on a certain body weight. Um, And I'm pretty sure I did the math one time. It's like a 137-pound person can eat 2,000 calories a day, and that would be good maintenance. It's not built for everyone. 
All right, so you got to figure out what it is, like what's your caloric intake, and then where do you eat your breakfast, your lunch, your dinner, right? Do you pack something so that you've got a protein shake or a protein bar if you get hungry? Because thinking that you, you're just going to starve yourself all day if you've never intermittent fasted is probably not going to be a very good strategy for you, right? Or do you get hungry when you walk into a classroom or when you walk by a vending machine? If the teacher gives you your test back and you got a B on it, does it cause you anxiety and anxiety triggers hunger, right? Because now you've, you've got some sort of, you know, feelings of less than inside of you. And now that unleashes a whole nother 200 habits that your brain has built up. And then you start thinking about when you come home or when you go to work, have you eaten before? If you work at a restaurant, now there's food all around you, but most of it's fried, not healthy. They're not handing out steaks and chicken breasts at work for free, but you can definitely ask the cook for some French fries. So all of these habits have been built up around your physical activity, and your nutrition strategy. So when you say, I'm just going to lose 10 pounds, there are thousands of habits that now are going to come into play that are going to determine whether losing that 10 pounds is something that is actually feasible for you. That is going to, it's going to be possible, but you're going to have to shift a lot of behaviors. There's going to be a lot of things to change around. So let's walk you through what it's going to be like to start to change these habits. Because you're going to find... Again, you will unearth hundreds, if not thousands of different habits. And if you have your awareness saying, okay, looking to lose 10 pounds, what habits are built up around this? What habits are helping me? And what habits are not helping me be able to achieve this losing of the 10 pounds? Then you, when you have that awareness, you'll start to notice there's these little things all over the place. Right? It could be something as simple as just walking in the front door and opening up the fridge. The first thing you do before you even take your backpack off and go into your room. Right? What are you looking for when you open up that fridge? What is going to be something that is sitting right in front of you? If it's pizza from last night right, and you've got no vegetables cut up, you've got no onions or, or peppers or anything prepared already chopped up so that you could just grab that out and make a quick sandwich, saute yourself up something healthy, Right, you're going to probably grab for the easy thing, especially if you've got some stress and some anxiety, some self-doubt about a future test or paper coming up. That's sort of like those comfort foods. Right? When we think about the things that we crave when we're sick or tired or angry or lonely, you know, those are the things we tend to go after are those comfort foods from our childhood because we will most often have a very good internal picture of ourselves eating those as a child. So when we eat, you know, Oreo cookies with some milk at three in the afternoon, it harkens us back to when we were eight and we came home and, you know, that was our after school snack while we sat there and talked to our mom about school. Whatever your internal picture is, that was one of mine. Come home from school, eat some milk and cookies while my mom sat at the kitchen table with me and talked about my day. So when I'm feeling hungry, angry, lonely, tired, I can remember going back to that point, coming home from school. Hell, even to this day, I can walk in there and it's like, why am I craving cookies at three in the afternoon? Oh, got a lot of anxiety about this client. Got a lot of anxiety about this upcoming meeting. Got a lot of stress about what projects I'm going to work on today. Uh, I'm trying to lean towards those comfort foods. So then I can be mindful of that. 
And I say, okay, well, is this really what I want to be doing right now, consuming 500 calories of Oreos? How about a quick protein shake, one ounce of potato chips, and I can walk out of this whole thing with you know 350 calories and not 700. And that's going to be a huge determiner over your ability to release these 10 pounds is being able to catch yourself in the act of making a pre-programmed habit loop decision. Now, if you've been listening to the show for as long as I've been running the show, you've heard me talk about The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. And one of the reasons I love talking about this book and I I check in on it regularly is because of the way he's broken down habits. Now, when I got into addiction recovery, uh, we were taught cue, response, reward. Something cues off a particular behavior. You respond to that cue. That cue is also called a trigger. It's also called an anchor can be called an activation point. Right? I've heard it talked about a lot of ways. In this show, we're going to call it a cue, and I might jump back and forth from trigger, anchor, and activation point, but no, we're talking about the same thing here. Um, so Charles Duhigg talks about this cue just like addiction recovery does. You have your cue, your, your response, the routine you do that creates the habit, and then you get your reward at the end of it. So a long day at school, super stressed, you have some anxiety, you come home from school, you walk into your dorm, your apartment, you open up the refrigerator, right? Walking through the door, that's the cue. Or opening up the refrigerator, that can be the cue. But if walking through the door is what triggered you to go walk to the fridge, that's actually the beginning of the habit loop. A lot of people say, well, when I open up the fridge, well, something got you off the couch, something you walked through the door, something cued you to even walk over to the fridge. The fridge is just part of the habit loop at this point. It is not the beginning of the habit loop. And that's very integral because when you go to shift a habit, you want to know what triggered it off. It's like having your cell phone go off in the morning as your alarm. That's your cue point. You decide in that moment, am I getting up or am I hitting snooze? Right? If you're somebody who hits the ground running and it's like the moment that thing goes off, you were up a minute before it. It's like you knew. But that's the cue point. It's that sound. It's like when you were in high school and the bell rang. Right, My high school had two bells, one that said, get your ass to class, and one that said, your ass better be in class. Right, And so those cues are auditory, and that sets you off. A cue can be visual. It can be something that you touch, like a doorknob, or a, you know, it could be putting your car keys in the, in the slot. That's starting it. Right, That's a kinesthetic cue. It's like you've started the car. Now you hear the engine fire up. Right Now this, this alerts your body to fire up all of the habits you have built up around driving a car. From reaching for the seatbelt to looking both ways before you hit reverse, all of it. It's all part of a habit loop. So you have this cue. This is, the, this is what fires it off. Now, Charles Duhigg, he throws in craving. You have a craving that comes after it. You are looking for something to be satisfied. So this is where you walk through the front door of your apartment, right? Stress, anxiety, there, that's your cue. You've walked into the apartment. If one of your habits is to walk over to the fridge, you've begun that habit loop. And the craving would be to satisfy the stress or the anxiety. So you're looking for a comfort food. You're looking for something fast, quick. Whatever your reasoning for what you're looking for is, is going to be determined by your uniqueness But make no mistake that it's all part of the craving. You are looking to satisfy something. This is why people drink alcohol in excess, 
right? They get something stressful, they have anxiety, or they want to relax, they want to celebrate, they want to be sad. We can attach all of the cue points to alcohol. So no matter what it is, good, bad, right, wrong, you can justify drinking the alcohol, right? It's often due to an inability to process emotions. So we decide we want to mute these emotions and we're taught alcohol and drugs are one of the most effective ways of doing that. And it is good medicine when you first start it. A lot of people are take it or leave it drinkers. And they're just like, yeah, you know, I do it from time to time just to have a good time. But no big deal. If I don't drink for another couple of weeks, I don't even think about it. Other people, it hits their lips and they turn into Frank the Tank. But it's all started by a cue point. So then the cue start fires up the craving. There's something that you want to have satisfied. What is it that you're looking to have satisfied? Is it a negative emotion? Is it, you know, you're stressed and now you want to feel relaxed? Or you're relaxed and now you want to be even more relaxed? Right, be noticing. Have your awareness around what is it in that moment. A lot of people are like, I'm just hungry, dude. It's not that big of a deal. I'm like, but it is. There's a lot more going on at the unconscious level than you're giving yourself credit for, that you even have your awareness wrapped around. If you can understand what the cue is that fired it off, right? Maybe you have a bad conversation with your girlfriend, boyfriend, and you, you know, hang up the phone and now it's like you're just like internally angry and you're like, that's it. Where's the pizza and beer, right? Whereas before you were thinking about water and broccoli and you were fired up to go to the gym, you have a bad conversation, you feel angry, all of a sudden you have this emotional surge, right? That's the cue, right? Now you're looking for the craving. You're looking to alleviate these emotions. That's what you're wanting to be satisfied. And now comes the routine. This is the behavior you go through in order to get the reward. This is your response. So what are you responding with? Is it cracking open a beer? Is it going and getting some pizza? Is it going and grabbing a bag of chips and sitting on the couch and watching your favorite rom-com or watching some, you know, sports center and just sitting there and mindlessly wolfing down a whole bag of Lay's? There's a reason no one can eat just one. They have used science to make sure those things are delicious. So if you sit there with a whole bag, this is one of the reasons why I weigh out my potato chips. And I know some people think that's ridiculous, but I'll tell you what, when you weigh out an ounce and a half potato chips into a bowl, one, it's quite a lot. Generally, it's a lot more than you think it is. And now I have a controlled set amount. I don't want to eat five servings of these chips at 170 calories a pop. That's 850 calories if my, if my quick math is correct. That's a lot, especially if I'm only allotted 2,400 that day. I just ate one-third of my calories in potato chips while mindlessly droning through these negative emotions. So understand the routine, this behavior you go through to get to the reward. And the reward becomes this, let's just go with the negative emotion, being satisfied. You're stressed. You have anxiety. You walk into your house. It cues off opening the fridge. You don't want to feel stressed and anxiety anymore, so you grab your favorite comfort food snack. You sit down on the couch and eat it up, right? And then that's that's your habit loop. Now, is it actually going to get you to the reward? If the reward is not feeling anxiety and stress, and the anxiety and stress is coming from an impending test or a bad grade you got on a test or an impending paper or assignment, or that you have to go to work in two hours. Eating those potato chips is not going to satisfy that. If the, if the external stressor is something that is you know, school-related or work-related or relationship-related, the only way that you're going to be able to alleviate the anxiety and stress that you have around that is to do something about that. 
if it's reviewing the test to figure out why you got so many answers wrong, if it's to sit down and study for 30 minutes so you feel more comfortable with the material, sit down and do a little bit more research for the term paper coming up, start to organize your notes, call that person that you're upset with and have the conversation because at some point it needs to happen. So you're going to keep pushing it off and allowing the anxiety and stress to just keep happening. In psychology, um, I don't have the term in front of me, but I learned about it in a Coursera class from uh, by this teacher uh, from Yale. I think it's called like the art of happiness. Um, it was it got really popular during the pandemic. They like released it for free, and it took off, and like it was all the rage. It was like news reports about it. But she talked about in this class about how humans can often. Um, over-exaggerate in their minds how bad something's going to be than it actually will end up turning out to be. So if there's a tough conversation you want to have with your parents or your lover or your roommate, we can often uh, over-amplify the severity of this conversation in our heads than it actually turn out to be. And I know from a lot of experience, especially in college, when I would wake up from a hard night of drinking and I would not remember much of it and be like, who do I have to apologize to? And I would go around and I'd find these people I had to apologize to and it often wouldn't nearly be as bad. And if it was something that I needed to ask amends for or apologize for, at least I could start that process of making up for it, of of explaining myself or apologizing or just stepping away from them for a little bit so that they could stop being so mad at me. But either way, there wasn't going to be a conclusion to this issue until I took an action step toward it. So sitting down and going through this programmed habit loop that's having me eat potato chips or you eat cookies, right, in order to feel less stressed and less anxiety, right, in order to get to that reward, which would be to feel less stress and anxiety. But in fact, what you just did, did nothing for the stress and anxiety. In that moment, it may have placated those emotions, because your mind was too busy enjoying the salt and the sugar and the sweet and the umami or the bitter or whatever, right? And all those taste buds that were activated. So you were in that state. But as soon as the snack is done, you're still in the same place, needing to review or study for the test, needing to work on the paper or needing to have that tough conversation. So regardless of what habit loop you get yourself into, it may not necessarily lead you to the actual reward you are seeking. The brain's got dopamine. It's got serotonin. It's doing all of this amazing stuff. So when you are going to shift a habit and you want to keep one of these New Year's resolutions, right? you have to be extremely mindful of what the cue is that starts you off on the behavior that has been leading you to gaining weight. Because now you want to shift it to releasing weight. So if the cue is walking through the door, and Charles Duhigg talks about removing the cue, well, if the cue for you has been walking through the door, right, then you can't not walk through your front door. So something has to change in that moment. If, if the cue gets set off walking through the door and you turn right and go straight to the kitchen fridge, right, then perhaps you shift the cue now. You walk through the door and you go straight to your room and you change into house clothes put your book bag down, take your shoes off, whatever it is. Start changing the habit because it's all looped. So there's actual steps that you're going through that, that are creating this inside of you, 
right? You want to f- break up the routine, right? Because this loop has been formed that basically just trances you right to the end point because it's habit. The brain has turned this into a habit. This is the flow state people have talked about in other books, right? We get into a flow state when we're doing something and our mind is like, you ever have been like super stressed about something, but then you get into an activity you really want to do, or you just get fully immersed in a project for school or for work. And before you know it, like four hours have passed, you've barely drinking any water, your phone's been blowing up, but you didn't even notice it. You were in a flow state. You were in a habit loop. You were working. What you were doing may have been completely new and fresh to you, and there may have been a lot of learning going along the way, but you had yourself in a loop where you were figuring things out and working through to conclusions so that you could keep moving from step to step to step of the project. And once you get a little bit of momentum, you notice like, wow, I can't believe how much I just flowed there. It almost is a sad moment when you have to stop working on it. You know, it's like, oh, it's three in the morning, I got to go to bed. I was working on my website last night at th- till three in the morning. I didn't really want to stop, but I was like, if I pass that threshold of 4 a.m., that's it. I might as well just stay up till the sun rises. And then the, what's the rest of my day going to be like? So I had to stop myself in flow. And when I lay down, my brain was not ready to stop. And I didn't fall asleep till almost four in the morning because I had myself in that loop, right? I queued off by turning on the website. And then next thing you know, I'm in that routine. I'm getting into flow state and I keep getting rewards each time I've, you know, figure out another section, another column, another row, a module. Each time I successfully completed another one of these tiny tasks that leads to an entirely new web page, my mind got that little dopamine hit. It's like, oh yeah, you're doing this. It's, you know, the serotonin's flowing, good emotions are coming in. I'm jamming out to Muse. Like I was, I was in that zone for four hours. And this is why the habit loop is just as powerful for good things as it is for the quote unquote bad things, for the undesirable behaviors. So when you're going to shift away from undesirable behaviors, notice what the cue is. Can you remove the cue? If it's calling up your boyfriend or girlfriend as soon as you get out of class, and sometimes those conversations go sideways, which leads you over at the quad, you know, eating chips out of the vending machine, then maybe don't make that phone call. Or start the conversation off by saying something to the effect of, I really need this to go well. I've got a lot on my plate today. Can we just make this a cordial conversation? Like start it off by shifting the normal routine. And then you're going to get the reward that works with you rather than against you. You want to be mindful of the reward. These undesirable habits that we have, drinking too much, eating too much, yelling too much, being on our phone too much, more than likely they're leading us to a life that we do not desire, that is not working for us. So you want to get these little successes, these little dopamine hits by shifting up the routine, right? You're going to get cued off by something. What is that cue? And if you think that's the cue and then you shift it and the habit still is extremely strong in you, you haven't gone far enough back into the steps. It's like somebody thinking, well, the cue is clearly me opening up the fridge. But if you were sitting on the couch and then you got a text message that said something to you that you were not happy with, and then that led you to get up off the couch, that's actually the beginning of the habit loop. Bad text message, get up off the couch, go straight to the fridge, grab a beer. That was the habit loop started when you got that upsetting text message, not when you opened up the fridge to grab the beer. So you want to be really mindful of the cue. 
And if in that moment, if the cue, bad text message is get up off the couch and go to the fridge, instead maybe it's get up off the couch and do 10 push-ups. Might seem super weird. Might even seem like it's not going to help all that much, but it's going to pattern interrupt the habit loop. You're arguing with someone and it's starting to get out of control. If you want to pattern interrupt your way out of that, sometimes I'll just drop a plastic bottle of water on the ground, not to spill it with the lid on, but it's just like knock it off the table. It's like that little pattern interrupt, that little shock of the sound of the bottle hitting the ground, right? It can be enough to just stop someone for two, three seconds, and then you can gather yourself a little bit. You can decrease the stimulus to response right? Actually, you're increasing the time between the stimulus and the response because that stimulus is the cue. And if they are yelling at you and you want to yell back and you just knock the bottle of water off, or sometimes you could, I've seen people pick up their phone, huge pattern interrupt because now you're not looking at the person anymore. You just look at the phone, right? But it's, it could potentially stop the person from yelling at you and give you a moment to calm down so you don't yell back at them. Whatever the routine is, whatever that loop is, that's where you want to start to pattern interrupt yourself. It could be push-ups. It could be jumping jacks. If that's what's going to keep you from walking over to the fridge, even just five or 10 push-ups, I say five push-ups is better than no push-ups. Even if they're on your knees, right? Even, even, even if it's just doing an air squat, something to break up the habit loop. Because when it gets cued off, it is going to send you straight to the pre-programmed routine that you have been running for a long, long time. All right. This is what I want you to be focused on moving into this new year because there's going to be a lot of habits that you have created that may not be leading you to a place that you desire. What's cueing these off? What is, what is, what is, you know, you might be staying up too late and next thing, you know, it's because you pick up your phone right before you go to bed to set your alarm. And next thing you know, you open up TikTok and it's two hours later. So do you need to set your alarm earlier in the night so that you can just walk over to your bed, plug it into the charger, and then that's it. It's, it's the alarm was set at 6 p.m. You don't need to pick up your phone anymore. And now you're not flipping on, you know, social media at midnight and staying on it till 1.30 in the morning. Something as simple as setting the alarm before you get to bed, if that's what's been queuing off the social media scrolling, is going to make huge changes in your life. You'll go to bed at a decent hour, you'll get up feeling more refreshed, and you won't be sitting here thinking, why did I spend so much time on social media, beating yourself up about it, feeling groggy and tired. When we're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, we are going to go back to pre-programmed habit loops that lead us to some level of comfort. And that's where, that's where these comfort foods show up. That's where we start to, you know, uh, get disgruntled with people and be short with people. It's all built in. It's all part of the human brain. And while we're all unique individuals and in how we are going to interpret the world around us, the way that our mind forms habits and pattern interrupts and looks for these loops and is very well aware of the hungry, angry, lonely, tired component, and I'll probably do a show about that soon, it, all of this stuff is, we've, we can see the human behavioral pattern that has been established. That's why this stuff works. You are unique in how you interpret the reality around you, but your brain is not so unique that it doesn't follow the same patterns to create habits. Cue, craving, response, reward. Take out the cue or change the cue so it leads you to something else that you want to crave, right? Then your response, your routine becomes different. And then the reward, 
a month, two months from now, you're still going to the gym while the rest of those people fell off because they didn't change all of the tiny little habits that were built up around what made them want to go to the gym to begin with. They're like, but I was doing so well. And the next thing I know, I was eating a whole jar of peanut butter at 2 a.m. What set that off? What was the cue that got you out of bed or off the couch at 2 in the morning to go eat peanut butter instead of going to bed and just calling it a night? Find that cue. Shift what the craving is. For me, I maintain my my physical health by understanding that my craving is to be putting on weight or losing weight at a healthy amount while also building muscle. I have like a five-year plan because making massive changes to your physical body is going to take time. All things take time if they're meaningful. You're going to be shifting thousands of tiny little habits. But sometimes you can change a big habit and that can have all these other habits just collapse around it. So be looking for some of those bigger ones. Not walking over to the fridge might start up a hundred different habit loops. And not walking over to the fridge just shakes all those habit loops to the ground. Cue, craving, response, reward. Think about how you're going to pattern interrupt yourself whenever you find yourself in a loop that you no longer want to be in. And how are you going to shift it? Be mindful of being hungry, angry, lonely, or tired because those will absolutely set off undesirable pattern habit loops that will take you to a reward that you've already told me you're sick and tired of. You wouldn't be trying to go to the gym to lose 10 pounds if all of your habit loops were leading you to a healthy waistline. And even whenever you finally release those 10 pounds, you're just going to find something else that you're going to want to shift about yourself. And how you're going to do that is going to be fortified by how you do this. Cue craving response reward. Be mindful of it. I can't wait to hear that how this works out for you. All right, my friends, as always, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. I hope you have a splendid day. See you next week. Bye-bye. 